Amen. Amen. Be seated if you would and grab your Bibles. <clears throat> We're still in the story time series. I'm still hugging the book of Daniel. Um, I'm going to skip two chapters and go back in a little bit. And the reason being is because what God laid on my heart today, I can't escape. And I don't believe that God wants us to delay it. So normally I would just stay in order, but this is just impressed on my heart today. So we're going to go this way. Does that make sense? So we're going to go to Daniel chapter number six, which is a very familiar story. If you know the life of Daniel, you've heard about Daniel and what? The lion's den. But today, before you tune me out, I'm going to give you probably a different perspective than you've ever seen in the story before, just in what God is saying in my life and God's showing my heart. So let's just do this real quick for a moment. Don't set an expectation of what the sermon's going to be. Set an expectation that God's going to reveal something to you. Does that make sense? And so in this, I want you to understand that we're going to take a very needed approach to a topic today that I, in my life, I've never heard anybody preach this version of this sermon, and we're not going to preach from Daniel's perspective. Now, if you want to knock it out, I can give you some points. Ready? Just to keep it to where you got it. The one things we, the few things we learned from Daniel. Get a pen. I'm going to give them to you quick. Ready? That no matter what, keep living for God, no matter what the circumstances are uh, that are happening around you. Number two, just trust that God has you. Number three, trust that God's going to fight for you. And trust, number four, that you're going to come out unharmed. We're in the story where Daniel is under attack and Nebuchadnezzar is long gone. This is two kings later. Um, Darius is now on the throne and, and, and we're, we're seeing something totally different, a different shape take form in Daniel's life. We're seeing consistency in the fact that everyone that Daniel works with loves him. All right, and I'm going to tell you this right now. You need to write this statement down. If it, 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 it's not the circumstances that define you. You should define the circumstances that God in you should be able to speak through them. No matter what the king, no matter what the situation, Daniel found favor. Why? He stayed consistent in his faith. When they said you can't pray, the Bible says, and look at this if you would, uh, in, in verse number 10, but when Daniel learned that the law had been designed, and this is the law, the law said that you cannot pray to any other God but the God of Darius, and, and these advisors put him up to it. The reason being they're jealous of Daniel. Daniel is now about to be made a, a very high position over all the kingdoms of Darius, the Mede. And, and so they're like, how do we get rid of this guy? So they went after the one thing they knew was true. And you know it is because he said it went home, he knelt down, and here's two words you need to underline in your Bible, as usual. When Daniel knelt down, it wasn't in defiance. I am very tired of the church loving to protest, but not wanting to live consistently. Yeah. You know, can I say that again? We want to we rattle cages when it goes against our belief system, but we don't want to believe it enough to live it on a regular basis. Daniel wasn't kneeling in protest. He was kneeling in habit. All right, now I'm going to tell you this. That's something that's missing in our lives, is it not? We want to go, and if a preacher preaches against the topics that we are in agreement with, we're excited and we're in it. But the moment that we have to actually apply it, it gets a little bit more difficult. Agree or disagree? How many of you be honest and say that your walk with God isn't as consistent as you would like for it to be? I'm going to raise my hand right there. All right, how many of you would be honest and say your faith in God isn't as consistent as you would like for it to be? All right, so two words you need to add to your faith walk. As usual, what is the usual in your faith walk? How many of you got it? Say got it. There's my sermon on Daniel. All right, that's it. He went into a lion's den. The Bible said he came out the next day not scratched. So for those of you that don't know the story, let's back up. Let's read why. And let's look at something that God has really revealed to me. Maybe it's because of the things I've been through. Maybe it's because of the circumstances of my life that this is just popping off the page for me. But I'm going to give you a very simple message today 
from the approach of Darius. Now look at this if you would. In verse number one, Darius the Mede decided to divide the kingdom into 120 provinces, and he appointed a high officer to rule over each province. The king also chose Daniel and two other administrators to supervise the high officers. So imagine this, 100 different, let's, let's, let's look at it from a United States view. Let's say there were 120 states in America. There's 50. And let's say that the president came out and said, I'm going to set up a governor over each of those states. And then he came out and said, but over those governors, I'm going to put three people in charge. How many of you understand the hierarchy here? So you've got president, governor, but there's somebody in between. Daniel was the in-between, which is super abnormal because Daniel is a slave. Daniel is a captive. Dave, Daniel has no bloodline to this kingdom. And for this to happen is rare, or we could say a miraculous move of God. Some of you are in circumstances right now that should defeat you, but under the hand of an almighty God, you can be elevated in the circumstance to have a behavior and a mindset that's abnormal to what you're facing, to be able to be an example and a leader in a lost and dying world, to show that God is still on his throne even when your life feels like it's falling apart. To show that God is still real even when you are not in the best circumstances. I don't know about you, but in the past several weeks of my life, we're not preaching from abundance. We're preaching from a need of life in our home. We're preaching from a plead with God, a beg with God about some breakthrough in the lives of our son, in the lives of our home. And yet, here's the thing. Oftentimes, I get tempted to say, you're too deflated to stand today. But the truth is the word of God is the word of God no matter how I feel. The promise of God is the promise of God no matter what we're going through. It's not faith if you only believe it when it happens. Matter of fact, that's not faith, that's experience. Faith is believing that what hasn't happened can happen. And believing what you think is impossible is still possible in the hand of God. And whether that be what your family's going through, whether that be what your finances look like, whether that be the mindset of your teenager that you can't figure out, the brokenness in the world around you, the absence of God in our schools and neighborhoods, the, the depletion of material or depletion of prevention or provisions that are in our world today, we call that recession. No matter what it is, we need people that say, no matter how I feel or no matter what's going on around me, God is still God and I'm going to still lead from that instead of leading from what I think I know, feel, or have in the moment. That's how you have joy and peace. God hit me with this. This is a little freebie. I think a lot of times I'm seeking God for answers when I should be seeking him for peace. Is it wrong to ask God for answers? No. But my joy isn't in that I got what I want. My joy is in the fact that God gives me what I need. My peace doesn't come from everything working out and all the doctors giving me the report exactly when I want it and all the answers coming in place. My peace comes from knowing that no matter what, we learned this last week, no matter what, at the end of the day, God is still God and God is still good. All right, now I, I don't know where your mind is or where your heart is, but I hope from this moment forward that you will open God up to the topic of, ready, write it down, distracted distracted. Um, in my life, I get distracted very easy. Any me twos in the place? Yeah. If you don't believe that, give me 10 more minutes of preaching. You'll think of something else in the meantime. 
Am I right? Like, it's Father's Day. Give me 40 minutes of preaching and you're definitely thinking about something else, right? Now, I'm not, I'm not asking for that today. Matter of fact, this is probably one of the simplest outlines that I've ever had when preaching. And, and, and as I was reading through this and I looked and I saw that, that this man, verse number three, Daniel proved himself more capable than all the other administrators and high officers. And because of Daniel's great ability, the king made plans to place him over the entire empire. You know what, I, you know what hit me here? Darius loves Daniel. Write that down. He loves him. This is not, oh, here comes that guy again. This is, this guy's got something. There's something about him. This isn't the, oh my goodness, I don't want to ask him how he's doing. This is a, I can't wait for him to show up. And as I look at this, I realize that Darius goes against culture. He goes against nature. He goes against law. He goes against everything that they stood for in the Medes and the Persians. He goes against it to put Daniel in a high, high place. That's love. Matter of fact, can I tell you this, and I want you to understand it, there should be a love that you have in your life towards certain people that elevates them to a place of love that nobody else gets to go. Number one, you should have a love for God that nobody else gets. Yeah, are you following me? Nod your head. We call that agape love. A love that can only come from him and a love that's only worthy of him. And, and, and that, that's a love that says there's nobody in my life, nothing in my life that I love more. That's when God is on his throne and you don't have an idol. You got phileo love, which means I love my friends. There's all these loves in the Bible and you need it. We have one love in the, and I taught our teenagers the other day. I can say, I love you to my wife and I love you to ice cream at the same time, but it's not the same love. Agree or disagree? If it is the same love, you need counseling. Yeah. <laughs> all right. That's simple. But understand this, like I, I, I look at this passage and I start to see that, you know, in our lives and in our worlds, sometimes we, we don't give love where it needs to be given because we're too busy trying to sow love in other places. And I believe as I examine my home and I examine homes around me, that the word distracted is a very real word in a lot of people's lives today. You say, well, where does this come from? Look, look at this. The, the other administrators, verse number four, and the, the high officers, they begin searching for a fault in Daniel and how he was handling the government affairs, but they couldn't find anything to criticize or condemn. He was faithful, always responsible, and completely trustworthy. If you want one sentence to add to your life to build your business success, to build your integrity, it is that sentence. Are you faithful? Are, are, are you responsible and self-disciplined? And are you trustworthy? If you want to go far, here it is, business verse of the day, right here. If you want to go far in your workplace, if you want to go far in your community, if you want to go far in your ministry, those three words have to become a part of who you you are, not what you do, who you are. Does that make sense? That's a freebie. So they concluded, verse number five, our only chance of finding grounds for accusing Daniel will be in connection with the rules of his religion. What a statement. In other words, if we can't go after his character, let's go after his faith. So the administrators and high officers went to the king and said, long live King Darius. 
We are all in agreement, we administrators, officials, high officers, advisors, and governors, that the king should make a law that will be strictly enforced. Give orders that for the next 30 days, any person that prays to anyone, divine or human, except to you, your majesty, will be thrown in a den of lions. And now, your majesty, issue and sign this law so it cannot be changed, an official law of the Medes and Persians that cannot be revoked distracted. I want you to write this down. They came in and they spoke to his ego. Last week we said when you're hungry, when you're tired, um, when you're deflated, when you, your energy is out, that's when Satan's going to come after you the most. That's when he's going to try to take you down. That's the roaring lion seeking whom he can devour. I'll be honest with you. A lion cannot devour the healthy in the pack. A lion devours the one that's weak. It watches for the one that's straggling or the one that's off course, the one that isolates or gets alone. That's the one the lion goes after. If you're with me in the nature truth, then nod your head. How many of you understand that? And if that's the truth and Jesus and God paint this picture of this lion, understand that the lion is preying on the weak today. And just because you're weak in physicality, just because you're weak in your relationship, doesn't mean you have to be weak in your faith. And so in there, understand that the lion, and I love this, I learned this at Disney and I share it all the time, on the Magic Kingdom, anybody ever been on the safari? It's been about 10 to 12, 14 years actually, since I've been on this. And I remember them saying, you'll probably not see the lion awake because the lion sleeps most of its life, but the lion wakes up when it's hungry and it roars when it's at its weakest point. And so when the Bible says that your adversary is like a roaring lion, then you've got to understand today there's reason to celebrate because Satan's at his weakest point. He has been defeated and he has no power over your life, no power over your future, no power even over your sin. He has none, absolutely nothing. Satan's just an antagonizer today. He's the person that comes to the King Darius and says, Hey, let's make a decree. Let's make this all about you. And in that moment, Darius got distracted and he made it all about himself. And I want you to write this statement. Get it. God gave it to me very real. When we get distracted, we typically start focusing on us. And when we start focusing on us, it's typically the people we love that get hurt and suffer. And as I was reading through this, I realized this isn't a king who wants to throw Daniel in a lion's den. This is a king who loves Daniel, but ends up throwing Daniel in a lion's den. Why? Because at some point of the king's life, he lost sight of what matters. So I want to speak to the men in the house today. I want to speak to the women in the house today. We have an adversary that's going everywhere, trying to make it to her work, becomes the distractor from your family, your wife, your husband, your kids to where work or or money or bills becomes the distractor of what actually matters in your life. And the next thing you know, you're looking around your life and you get to this point of, I want to feel good. And you start listening for the praise of others or the promotion at work or the rise in your savings account, bank account, or stock account. And the next thing you know, while you're building your kingdom, the people you love are getting left behind and hurt And before you know it, the people you love are in the middle of something you never dreamed they would go through. And all you got left is panic. All you got left is hurt. So Darius orders the decree. 
We've already read verse number 10. In verse number 12, so they went straight to the king. They reminded him about his law. Did you not sign a law that for the next 30 days, any person that prays to anyone, uh, anything or human except you, your majesty, would be thrown into the den of lions? Yes, the king replied, that decision stands. It's an official law of the Medes and Persians. It cannot be revoked. Then they told the king, that man Daniel, one of the captives from Judah, is ignoring you and your law. He still prays to his God three times a day. Look at this. Hearing this, the king was deeply troubled. And he tried to think of a way to save Daniel. He spent the rest of the day looking for a way to get Daniel out of this predicament. Can I tell you the shape that that verse took in my mind? Conversations I've had this week, people that I've talked to, couples that I talked to yesterday on the phone with someone. That verse now sounds like this, hearing this, the person was deeply troubled and tried to think of a way to fix this, to save their marriage, to save their troubled teenager, to save their nation, their church. They spent the whole day trying to figure out a way to get out of this. But sometimes once we get into a certain place of life and do certain things, the consequences are there. Now, does God take the judgment for sin for us through Jesus Christ? Say yes or no. But do consequences remain? Yes. And having lived in a year, uh, three years now, of, of still dealing with consequences in my own life, still dealing with things and working out things in my own life, I felt it very empowering to be able to stand in front of you and say today, think first before you act or you will think later of ways to change what you did and you can't. You say that's hopeless. No, it's not. Here's the hope. You do not have to stay distracted today. You do not have to be called away to something that will ruin your life. To the men, because I am one, I'll speak to you. You don't need to be thinking one day, how do I get out of trouble? You need to be thinking today, how do I stay out of trouble? My prayer is that you don't get to a day where you're driving down the road and you're thanking God and asking God and praying to God to save your marriage because of the news you're about to break. But instead, when temptation comes your way, that you're driving down the road thinking, I'm going to stand firm as a man of God. I'm going to stand firm as a woman of God. And I'm going to resist the tempter. I'm going to rebuke him in Jesus' name. I'm going to watch demons tremble and I'm going to watch them flee. Today, we need a Christian nation to rise and say, we're done being distracted because while we're distracted, we're losing our kids and we're losing our homes. And while we're distracted, we're losing our communities. We're losing the things that matter. I want you to bow your heads and close your eyes. I feel very impelled right now to just do this. How many of you got things in your life that are or could become distractions in your life that are keeping you from the relationships that truly matter in your life? Would you slip a hand up in the air? Come on, be real, be real. Nobody's looking, all right, be real. I've got things in my life, yeah. 
Look at me. I know that you're probably never going to have to stand at the mouth of a lion's den and hope your loved one survived it. But I work with your teenagers. I see the challenges of my own kids and their, their young ages. We've, we've talked with kids and, and, and dealt with abuse in a major way. I was informed right before service again of another overdose. Just confirming today that no, God has us here. We need a church in America and across the world that gets to the point that says we're tired of our kids being thrown in a lion's den. We're tired of watching the demons and the devil do what they want to do. Wreak havoc. And so instead of waiting for them to be in a place of brokenness, to a place of helplessness, to start trying to help, let's realize today that most of the time they're there because we're distracted here. If Darius could go back and undo his decree, if Darius could go back and undo what he said, if Darius could have realized what the enemy was trying to do, he would have never ordered this because he would have never allowed Daniel to be in that situation. Why? Darius loved Daniel. And I'm going to tell you this right now. I believe that even if you're living a life opposed to God right now, I believe that even if you've had temptations in your marriage, I believe that even if you're angry with the person that you're married to or angry with the kids that you're raising, I believe deep down in your heart, there's a love there that wants to see them protected, a love there that wants to see them guided, a love there that doesn't want to see Satan have his way. And while the enemy has you distracted over what you are mad about or holding a grudge about or keeping record of wrongs that you have against them or has you distracted by something outside of your home, he is setting a trap for your family to fall in. And I promise you the day that Satan unleashes the war on your home and you find your kids in the grips of drugs or you find your kids in the grips of somebody who's abusive or not right or you find your wife using the words divorce or your husband saying I'm done or pornography running through your computers and and, and immorality running through your televisions the time that you get there I promise you you're going to be like Darius and you're going to be wondering how and what you could do to rescue this but today thank God God sent a message for you and the message is simple stay focused on God Because if you lose sight of him, you'll lose sight of them. And pain happens. Hurt happens. Brokenness happens. In the evening, the men went together to the king and said, Your majesty, you know that according to the laws of the Medes and Persians, no law that the king signs can be changed. So at last the king gave order for Daniel to be arrested and thrown into the den of lions. And the king said to him, may your God, who you serve so faithfully, rescue you. Can I give you hope? If you're the struggling marriage today, if you're the the mom and dad heartbroken, if your kid's suicidal, you got things going on. There is still a God who rescues even when we have gotten distracted. There's a God who restores even when we have lost sight of what matters most. 
And just because you feel helpless does not mean it's hopeless. And I'm going to say that again. Just because you feel helpless does not mean that it is hopeless. There's a God that loves you and cares for you and will restore you. So I'm going to give you four things right here that Darius did. Seeking God to restore what was broken. Number one, he returned to God. May the God you serve so faithfully rescue you. Two weeks ago, we had the five that were thinking suicide on the stage. This week, I've had multiple conversations with people who are just flat struggling. I'd be lying to say that I'm not one of those. How many of you would say, yep, me too, struggling? Anybody heartbroken? Maybe over not just your condition, but I'll tell you what. You know when you're maturing in your faith is when you're heartbroken over the condition of others. And how many of you have a heart that's broken over what people are going through right now around you? Anybody else miss their friends the way that they are? The way that God intended them to be, not the way that they are right now. Not what the circumstances have done. Anybody miss the fellowship that you would have with somebody? Anybody miss the, the relationship you had with your mom, your dad, your spouses? Any, and I'm not talking about the ones that, are law, uh, that have, have moved on and died. I'm talking about the ones that you used to be close. Now they're still alive, but it's as if the relationship's not there. I'll, I'll be honest with you. You know what my, my text and my message to my dad was today? Like, Dad, I love you, and I miss you, and I really hope at some point today that you want to actually talk, because I would love to just hear you. I'd love to know that you're okay. I'd love to know that, that your life isn't what it has been. But more than all, I want him to know I love him. And I care about where he is. Now, I know week after week I come in here and I share with you what's on my mind and on my heart, but I have been in, in, in a lot of situations this week that make it very clear to me that there are a lot of people hurting and we don't have to go far to find them. A lot come in this door every single time we open it. And maybe that's you today. And I'm going to challenge you. Listen, hardships of life can distract you quickly. Daniel teaches us in the hardship of life, go to God. Stay faithful to God. You say it doesn't work out. I told my real estate team this week in our team meeting, I, I got on and, and I said, look, I don't know why, but I, God's just leading me to Galatians. I'm supposed to give you a little pointer about real estate. So here's what I'm going to give you. If you keep planting seeds, God's going to do something in your life. And, 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 and here's the thing. Don't get tempted. Don't quit. Just realize today that if something's missing in your life, don't complain about what you don't have. Go put something in the ground. Do something and know that if you trust God and live right and stay ethical in your work, then at the end of the day, there will be a harvest. So you may be planting for a paycheck six months from now, three months from now, and it may not happen today. But put something in the ground today that you will be thankful when it sprouts. And trust that God keeps his promises. Now, we often talk in life about desert seasons. How many of you realize when somebody's talking about a desert season, that's in the season of life when you're going without Anybody in here today kind of struggling in an area? Maybe it's food, finances. And I'll slip your hand up. How many of you got that? I'm, I'm going without in a certain area. Yeah, yeah. Um, that, that's a desert place. It could even be in relationship. You're lonely. You know, and I, can, we, can we be a real church today? Even on the chat, maybe throw a hand in the air. Who, who in here would say, at times I find myself lonely? Slip your hand up. 
Hold it high. Hold it high. All right, if you're single and lonely, keep your hand in the air. And that'll give you a chance to look around. All right, if you're, if, if you're not single and lonely, raise your hand. Look, raise it high. Hey, that, that's where, hey, how can, we, how can we minister? You know, couples should minister to couples. You know, I, I think couples should minister to singles. I think there should be, and I'm thankful for Dusty, who's heading up our, our college ministry now and pouring into them. And I hear the laughter coming out of that room. Omar going in there, teaching them finances and all this. And it's like, maybe we can set these young adults up to have a life that we didn't have, to not have to fight the struggles we had to fight. Because in desert places, the thing you need the most is water. And I love it. In the Bible, water is representative of the Holy Spirit. And so when we're sitting here and like, I'm in a desert place and I'm thirsty or I have a need, what you're really asking for is the Holy Spirit to move in you. And I promise you this, when the Holy Spirit moves on you and in you, there is a peace that comes with that. There is a energy that comes with that. And so in desert places, we're looking for water. Amen. And so a lot of times if we're not careful and, and, and we forget that my strength comes from who? The Lord. My hope is in who? The Lord. And the joy of the Lord becomes my strength. When I forget that, then I start thinking that that person may be the water. Then I start thinking that maybe they can love me the way I need love. Maybe they can fulfill me the way I need fulfilled. Maybe they can boost me. Or then I start thinking that the paycheck may be the water. And if I'm not careful, I'm putting myself in a mindset that I think that I got to have all these things. The one thing I've learned about Belshazzar, not Belshazzar, that was Daniel's name. Belshazzar was the king after Nebuchadnezzar. So you got Nebuchadnezzar, Belshazzar, and then Darius. The one thing I've learned about these three kings is they all knew of God. They all saw God, yet they all thought highly of themselves or thought lowly of themselves at times and started seeking the water from a bad resource. Matter of fact, can we write this down? Water is the most powerful force, feared force on the face of the planet, but it is also necessary for life. Agree or disagree? Even if you disagree, you're disagreeing with science. <laughs> and God, you don't get to do that in this world, right? But how many of you learned this to be true? Drinking from the wrong water source can kill you. Um, I had a, a house uh, two years ago that they did a well test on it, and, and literally the well tester, uh, the person that tested the water, whatever their names are, I don't know their official title, said this, if anybody is drinking from this well, it immediately needs to stop. There's fecal matter in it. Okay, let's put that in language. Poop. <laughs> Human poop. And here's what they said. In Tennessee, a lot of wells are not pits that you're digging into. It's, it's running, it's shed water that goes underground and, and it purifies as it travels through rock, which is a beautiful thing. Isn't it amazing how the rock can purify the water? Let's turn that spiritual. Jesus Christ is the rock. And if you want some pure water in your life, let the water and rivers of your life flow through him. And on the other side comes out something we're drinking. Anyway, so here it is. He says, as it comes down, it sheds. And this, he said, the problem with this well is it's shedding through somebody's septic field. Yeah, isn't that gross? You say, what do you advise your client? You do what you want to do, but this might not be the house for you. You're going to need a new well. You're going to need this, but here's the problem. It's a community well. Meaning every house connected 
to that well is drinking that fecal matter. And here's what they said. Every person that's drinking of this well is in danger of E. coli and all these other things setting up in their lives. And while they may not see short-term results, they will have long-term damage from exposure to this water. Now, here's, here's the thing, and I think this is so true. I think we're living in a world that we're like, hey, it, it's, you know, it doesn't taste bad. This can't be that bad, and I'm thirsty. And what we don't realize is the water of the world is very contaminated. The water, uh, the opinion of somebody else that's ran through their experience or ran through their minds that's coming to your life, that's very contaminated. And even in their best intentions, it's coming from a human resource. That's why the Word of God is so important in our lives, because it's pure. It's real. It's true. And at some point of our lives, we've got to realize that there's a cup we should drink from and a cup we shouldn't. And I don't know about you, I don't come here today standing as if I've only drank of God's water all of my life. I have drank from the wells that I shouldn't have drank from, been contaminated by them, suffered the disease of what sin can do, dealt with the consequences of the sickness. But I'm thankful today that there's water in the well and that God wants to put in you a well that springs up into everlasting life. And the thing that we're saying today is this, watch out where you're drinking your water from in your desert season. It could be ruining your marriage, ruining your life. Watch out what you're listening to when you're down and out. You do not need the I'm proud of you from others when there's a God in heaven that declared you good from the moment he made you in his mind and imagination till the moment he gave you life and breath in your body today. We need a church that returns to the well of the living water of a living savior of Jesus Christ. And we need to understand that there are distractions out there They're killing us. Darius' very first move after doing this whole, wow, how many of you have ever been in that moment? You said what you said, and then you're like, why did I say that? How many of you are married to somebody like that? Let's call some marriage problems on Father's Day. That's a good call. How many of you have ever done something and immediately regret what you did? You know what it's like to be Darius. You know what it's like to realize that you just caused the damage. Now, can I tell you this right now? And I want you to get this. And this is a hard one. You got to deal with it. Jesus has dealt. I know get this word very clearly. Jesus has dealt with the consequences of the action, but still deal with what's going on. Because while Jesus has taken the punishment for you, there's still hurt that's been caused to others. There's still hurt that's been caused to you. I would love to stand in front of you and say that the last three years have been a honeymoon for us. But uh, the last three years have had honeymoon and then non-honeymoon and honeymoon, non-honeymoon. You know, it's like bipolar relationship. And you're saying, is that in a bad sense? No, I mean, anybody in here loves so dearly your spouse? Raise your hand. But how many of you say, I, we don't always agree? Yeah. But there's one thing that should be the foundation of our marriage, and thank God it is in our home. And that's you got to go back to God. Individually, you got to get back to God. And Darius's last words to the person he loves is, may your God rescue you. I'm going to tell you this right now. I'm going to give a word to husbands and wives that are trying to fix each other. Stop it. Stop it. There's a work that God needs to do and you need to get out of the way. 
I told our teenagers, and we do this often, we'll take 1 Corinthians 13 and we'll put it out there and we'll say, plug the person in here, verses four through six. Can you throw those up there real quick, Casey? And just to give them an idea. Love is, somebody tell me what's the first one. Patient and what? Kind. Kind. Ooh, two words that are very hard to accomplish, right? Um, How many of you are very patient people? All right, I'm not going to ask how many of you are kind because then we'll get a lot of liars. But here's the thing, right? (laughs) Love is not jealous. It's not boastful. It's not proud. In other words, I'm not better than you. If I find that I think I'm better than you, I don't love you. That's what that verse says, right? If I'm jealous of you and your talents and your abilities and the the gifting that God's given you, I, I don't love you. If you're jealous of the success in somebody else's life, you don't love them. That's what the, all right, and keep going, keep going. It it says it's not rude. It doesn't demand its own way. It's not irritable. It keeps no record of being wronged. It doesn't rejoice in injustice, but rejoices when the truth wins. In In other words, love doesn't say, I won. Love doesn't say it's about me. Love says, may God's will be done in this home. Now, I tell them this. I say, when you're dating somebody, go back to verse number four, take their name and plug it in. But the truth is, you can't plug it in on date one, can you? You might need date 15 before you start finding out, is Josh patient? Is Josh kind? And then we call this the love test. And as they become what God's version of love is, then you might be looking at your future spouse. But before you plug their name in, Put yours first. And before you start seeking someone who fits this, be this. Because why should you have an expectation of somebody being what you are not willing to be? How many of you follow this? It's easy for me to say, yes, I would love, they need to be patient. They need to be kind. It's hard for me to say, whoa, be patient. Josh, slow it. Josh, be nice here. Because I don't know about you, but I have a flesh problem. Anybody in here human? Say amen. Anybody else ever have that intention where somebody sends you the text message and you want to call them and just go off? Come on. Anybody else ever have the moment where you just like to tell the world how you feel? Should you? No. Remember when the feeling's going to change, you're going to regret. It's going to be those moments you spill and then you're like, ah, why did I say that? The thing is this. When you are in a moment, when you are tempted to make life all about yourself, get back to God in your mindset. And here's what I taught our teenagers just recently. Getting back to God doesn't mean I start thinking, Jesus, 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 God, God, God. Getting back to God means I take the area of my temptation to his word and find out what his word has to say about it. A lot of times we're saying, get back to God, and people are just thinking, okay, I, all I got to do is say the name of Jesus Christ, which, yes, the name of Jesus makes Satan flee, but I, I, I want you to get this, and I want you to write this in your mind. The Bible, when it's talking about sin and temptation in James, doesn't say that it's Satan that tempts you. The Bible says that when you're tempted, it's because of your own desires that are leading you away from God. So you could say, I said Jesus and Satan left. Good. The problem is you're still there. I'm still there. 
And it's not that I just need Satan to leave me alone and the demon to leave me alone. It's I need to Romans 12 to this and get a renewing of my mind. And so if I'm tempted to quit right now, Galatians 6 is a good place to go. If I'm feeling unworthy right now, then hey, John 3.16 is a good place to go. If I feel like life is too hard and I want to give up and everybody else is this, then Psalm chapter number one is a good place to go. You're saying, well, the world is this. Why? It's not fair. Get in God's word. Get back to God. Get at the tomb. Get at the entrance to the, to the lion's den and just say, may the God, living God of heaven, heal my home, rescue my kids, change my nation, and do something in this church. It doesn't matter where you've been. It matters where you're taking your things. Number two. Pray for endurance and deliverance. Look at this if you would. The king, verse 18, returned to his palace, spent the night fasting. He refused his usual entertainment and couldn't sleep all night. Um, If you've ever done a study on fasting, you should. Fasting is an intimate type of worship. Fasting is a thing that you decide to do. You're giving something up. Some people give up food. Some people give up activity. Some people give up a time. We're not talking about Lent. We're not talking about this public thing. People ask me all the time, do you do Lent? No, I do not. It's some ritual bull. (laughs) Can I tell you that right now? I see people walking around with ashes on their head with, with language coming out of their mouth saying, don't give up your chocolate. That's not what you needed to give up. You needed to give up your foul mouth. That's what you needed to give up. Are you with me? Fasting isn't public. The Bible says when you fast, don't act like the Pharisees, which were the religious crowd that went around in all messed up clothes, acting like they were all broken and beating. No, fasting's a time where I need to see God and experience God. And until I get what God wants from me, and until I give God the glory, until I get my attention back on track, whatever the need in your life is, I'm going to spend intimate time with God. So it looks like this. If I'm fasting food, then at the time that I would normally be eating, I'm in the word of God and praying. How many of you understand fasting? And so when the Bible says that this king went back and fasted, he's asking God, do something here. This is endurance. I'm going to tell you this right now. You want to see restoration in your home? You need patience and you need endurance. It's not going to happen overnight, but it will happen over consistent behavior towards Jesus Christ. And I think in our lives, sometimes we get into a hole that we've been digging for 20 years and we expect God to get us out in a minute. Sometimes there's sleepless nights. Anybody got an amen to that one? Sometimes there's the, I don't know how to do this. You know, we're learning a song right now. Then it says, when did I trade faith to, to, to make something seem as if it's impossible? When did I give up the ability to realize that God's been good to us and God's done miracles for us and God's bailed us out before? When did I forget that? If God can keep me married to this woman after what bomb went off in our life three years ago, then God can help us survive the autism struggle now. God can help us survive the financial walls. God can help us survive the business decisions. God can help us survive a a, a world where inflation is going crazy and grocery costs are way more. What $100 used to buy buys nothing. And and, and now you're going and you're wondering how you're going to feed and how you're going to do. Come on, you're with me too. Hey, Hey, here's the thing. God has been with you when you were broke before. God can be with you and yeah, he still be the same God when you're broke now. And, and the truth is you can be happy with nothing, right? You know, you, you, I mean, when the Bible says childlike faith, I think God remembers Christmas when the kids are happier with the boxes than the toys. 
When your daughter would rather you dance with you than, than play. When it's not about a Barbie, it's about attention. And, and at some point of our lives, we got to get over this. And I'm telling you right now, if you're the Darius that has hurt your family, stop expecting them to heal overnight and trust that God through your consistent action will deliver them through your behavior toward him. And I think in our time, and we, we have this, I talked to somebody recently who said, well, they need to understand. Nope, not going to heal that way. At some point, you need to realize it's not all about you. It's about doing what God wants you to do so that he can do the work in them. Stop trying to heal each other. Let God do the healing. But the truth is, it's going to take some time. It's going to take some time to recover. Grace Community Church has taken some time to recover. And truth is, we're still in a recovery process. But look at what has been born in the recovery that didn't used to exist. Hundreds of people being fed physical meals. Orphans finding homes. People being saved. Lives being changed. A pastor able to stand in front of you and warn you about distractions, not because I've had some spiritual revelation in the world and I'm smarter than you, but because I have been Darius in my life and I have seen what happens when the wife you love is in the floor of a bathroom puking and crying and there's nothing you can do because you've already done what put her there. Except sit outside a door and pray and plead with God. And then all of a sudden hear a phone ring and a complete stranger on the other end give your wife hope. We had a lady from Canada step into Jordan's life in the most broken season of her life. A complete stranger whisper hope and survival. We had a pastor from this church call at a random time and say, I can't get you off my mind. And I normally don't call the woman of a husband. But God has told me he's going to save your marriage. Little did he know that five minutes before that phone call, I had just sat and told her everything I'd ever done wrong. And was in my yard, mowing my yard, about to leave and go back to my adopted mom's house. Believing my marriage was over, but on the lawn, we're praying, God, don't let my actions be the determining factor of where we get to go. God can do amazing works in your life, even if you are the one that has created the den of lions in the lives of your loved ones. But you can't demand they respect you. You can't demand that they trust you. At some point of your life, you've got to realize that trust is earned. It is not deserved. I, I tell people, even in our business, don't tell a client, we want to be your agent. Tell a client, we would love the opportunity to earn the right to be your agent. You don't deserve it. You haven't done anything. Do something that makes them say, this is my agent. In our lives, we don't need people that are going around demanding you love me, demanding you care, demanding you speak nice to me. No, become what you need to be and earn the right to be trusted again. Earn the right to be restored again. And I promise you this, you'll never find the respect in your home that you want until you find a surrender to God that you need. And Darius said, may your God deliver you and then went and spent a night with that God. Fasting and praying, endurance, number three. 
then seek restoration. This is a big one. Are y'all with me today? How many of you agree this is a twist on the Daniel story, isn't it? Very early the next morning, verse number 19, the king got up and hurried to the lion's den. When he got there, he called out in anguish. May we stop and just say this prayer, God help us to have hearts so broken that we are not afraid to grieve over the hurts we've caused and not afraid to show it. Not afraid to stand and say, I got this wrong. Ready? Say these words with me just so you can prove to yourself you can do it. I am sorry. Ready? Go. Yeah, that sounds about like how we would do it. The truth is the king runs there and he's, he's broken. You know, I'm going to talk to you men. I know it's Father's Day and I'm just going to say this. It is a shrine of strength for a man to be able to be broken and open in front of his family. Now, broken doesn't mean you cry and snot like me, spit all over the place. Your broken can simply be a sitting like Omar with an arm around your wife just saying, hey, I messed that up. Hey, I got this wrong. But what about this one? I'm not perfect, and I've been trying to be. Inside, I'm falling apart, but I'm, I'm trying to act like I got it all together. And I just need you to know that it might have seemed like I've been angry with you, but I'm not. I'm so frustrated with me, and I don't know how to do it. You know how much freedom you would give your spouse? Number three is seeking restoration. He goes there, and he says, hey, Daniel, servant of the living God, was your God, whom you serve so faithfully, able to rescue you from the lion's den? I want you to write down two words, restoration and resolution. Say them with me. Ready? Restoration, resolution. If you're constantly seeking resolution, you'll lose your relationship. Resolution says we have to resolve every issue. That's impossible. And a lot of people, and I do this and, and have done this, I'm trying, God help me to learn how not to do this. If I'm losing an argument, I'm quick to go to the past. Where, where are you at in here? Come on. How many of you do this? Well, you used to, you said, you remember this when we were first married and all this before we got married. Come on now, raise your hand. How many of you do this? It's damaging. You know what I call that? Unfair fighting. You know what that's literally, if you were in a boxing ring, that's a below the belt. Shouldn't be allowed. Resolution doesn't mean, you know what resolution requires? Perfection, and nobody's perfect. It requires somebody to be able to make up for everything they did wrong. And I'll promise you, no matter how hard somebody tries, they can't take the pain away that you feel. They can't. Am I right? Come on now. How many of you have been hurt and that person apologized to you, and while you've forgiven them, the hurt's still there? Yeah, it's there. That's why God says keep forgiving them. That's the only way the relationship matters. You know why God says forgive 70 times 7? He's seeking restoration, not resolution. And in our world, we got a lot of people saying, let's fix this. And can Darius fix what he did? It's not about, hey, Daniel, I'm so sorry I threw you in the lion's den and all this other stuff. It's Daniel. What matters now is, are you okay? What matters now is, has God delivered you? What matters now is, can we come out? Get out of there. 
And my prayer for your family, your prayer for my family, let's pray for each other, is that one day you leave the Egypt you found yourself in. One day you walk out of the lion's den you found yourself in. One day the marriage sees beyond this moment. One day the kids see beyond this rebellion. One day we see beyond this generation of entitlement. One day we get to a place where it's not about you got me thrown into a lion's den, but it's about, yes, king. Hey, God has delivered me. And immediately restoration, restoration says this, We don't have to fix it all, but we do have to stay together. So no matter what it takes for us to get to tomorrow, I'm willing to do it because I'd rather be right and you not know it than to be right and lose you. I want you more than I want to be right. I want you more than I want it to be about me. So let's go forward because the future matters more to me than the past. And you say, well, I don't agree with that. Well, I'm glad you're not God. And I am thankful that the cross says the same thing, that God was more interested in restoration than resolution, that instead of making you and I make right every wrong we did, he sent Jesus. You know what God was saying? I am more interested in where we're going than where you've been. So I want to take you somewhere. So let's get you right. Let's get you to cross. Let's get you saved. Let's get you right with me. Let's get a relationship and let's move forward. God does not want to spend your life reminding you of all the things you've done. God will not spend all of eternity reminding you you all the things you've done. God wants to pick you up from here and go forward. Go forward. Go forward. It's time our marriages and homes leave a lion's den to the hope of tomorrow and what God can do. And then lastly, and I'm done. The king was overjoyed in verse number 23 that Daniel had been lifted from the den. Not a scratch was found on him for he had trusted in his God. Then the king gave orders to arrest the men who had maliciously accused Daniel. He had them thrown in the lion's den along with their wives and children. The lions leaped on them and tore them apart before they even hit the floor of the den. Now, I'm not going and saying kill your enemies, all right? We're not talking about people here. But what I am saying is this, he returned to God. He prayed for endurance and deliverance. He sought restoration and he killed the enemy. Here's the problem. Many people see God do a mighty work in their lives and then go back and think, we can keep this. We can can still socially drink. Now, I'm not saying anything to you that are social. What I'm saying is to the addict in the room, there's no such thing as social anything. There's no social, you, 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 need to be, you need to be cautious with a Tylenol. You need to be cautious with a, a surgery. I was in the hospital when, when DJ, and, and, and we don't want pain meds. Why? There's a history of drugs. You know what it's saying is, we've destroyed that enemy. We're not letting it back in the home. I'll be honest with you, I would rather you be bored to death with no cable and no internet than to allow an adulterous partner to have access to something that would bring them back into a mindset that would take them away from the relationship. You say, that is extreme. Can I tell you this right now? How many of you realize that the launch of Satan against your home has been extreme at times? Would you say yes to that? 
How many of you have been through hell on earth? Would you slip your hand up in the air? How many of you have had the sleepless nights like Darius? How many of you have had the regrets and the guilt and the shame? How many of you have fought those things and worried about the life of someone else and what was going to happen to them? Yes. Why would you ever keep something in the corner that could bring it back? And the Bible would say it this way. Don't give place to the devil. Don't give him a foothold in the door. It's better to be extreme with what you get rid of than to be tolerable of something that could destroy them. Am I an advocate of the parent that says no cell phones in the bedroom? Absolutely. Am I an advocate of the fact that you can go onto your phone settings and you can set the maturity ratings of what's allowed to be seen? Yes. And to sometimes a, a maturity rating of saying that you don't want anything exotic to be seen on your phone might keep them from watching a YouTube video that's harmless. Yeah, it might, but it's worth giving that up than for them to be tempted and taken back down a drain or into a den that God didn't intend. And you know what Darius did? He said, all these people that manipulated me are now out of my life. Because I am not going to get into a place again where the people I love can get hurt because I'm distracted. And I think that needs to be the root of where we are. And I know it's Father's Day and this should be towards men and it does resonate in my heart as a man. It makes me vulnerable to say these things. I will answer questions with my wife later about the things that are in my life because it'll, it'll, it'll bring questions in her. Are you tempted by this? Are you tempted by that? And absolutely not. But the thing that I have is as I'm reading in my Bible, I'm seeing my life that I had in the past right in front of me. And I'm realizing I am never going to be a Darius again. I am not going to let my family go through devastation. Because I became distracted and all about myself. And my plea with you is to stand up and examine your life and look at the areas where maybe you become a little bit more focused on you than on your family and realize that you are putting them in the danger of the lions. When you have an opportunity right now to say, oh no, not this time. Not again. And you say, well, I want it to be never again. Then you have got to remove the enemy from around you. Um, I always say to the, the alcoholic and to the drug addict, if you're a drug addict, a sip of alcohol is just as deadly to you as the use of a drug. If you're both or either an energy drink might be just as deadly to you. And you're like, why? Because it becomes a stepper. You might not know this, but there's a lot of lawyers and judges that are addicted to drugs simply because while they were in medical school or they were in law school, they needed to stay awake and they were chugging five-hour energy drinks. I've heard these testimonies. Chugging one right after the other until their body got so used to that amount of caffeine that it no longer kept them awake and then somebody introduced them to meth. And they could stay awake for three days with high energy and go. And so now... Here's somebody that has great education and great future that is so addicted to drugs because they kept shooting five-hour energy drinks and it wasn't enough. I'm going to tell you this. Sin is never enough to satisfy the needs of your heart. It is contaminated water that will leave you with a disease effect that you don't want. And at some point, you got to say, no more.